well, hey, would you look at that? Turns out you have to have the microphone plugged in in order for the audio to pick up. What a concept. Hey, everybody. Welcome to With Religion Behind Me, the podcast where I, Javier, will tell you stories and experiences of my childhood growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and how now that I no longer am associated with said religion uh, or any religion at all, um, my views and uh, takes on certain things in the world have completely changed. Um, So let's get right into it. Um, This week's going to be a little bit different. Um, I won't be talking about one particular story um, or one particular incident um, of my being a Jehovah's Witness. Instead, today's episode is going to focus a little bit more on my growing up as a Jehovah's Witness as a whole and what that really meant. Um, One thing that I want to be able to have you as the listener understand is that when I tell these stories... And when I say that I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I want you to understand how devoted I was. Um, Because I do have um, knowledge of people, um, people that I knew or people that I've met as of late who, just like me, grew up a Jehovah's Witness. However, there are some differences in all of our stories. Not all of us were, um, as we would say, born into it. Um, Some of us converted. Um, Some of us had parents who converted and therefore that meant now you were associated with Jehovah's Witness. Um, And even those that were born into it, like I was, doesn't necessarily mean that they followed the same path that I'm about to explain to you. Um, You know, for example, um, a way that I could explain it in in a silly yet kind of Um, way that anybody really could understand is um, let's say you grow up in a particular part of a state um, that is associated with a professional sports team Um, you know you might say oh yeah I grew up a such and such fan of a a team Um, take myself I'm from Wisconsin so uh, let's use the Brewers Um, that's my all-time favorite team the Milwaukee Brewers there are people that live in Milwaukee that you know, might be fans of the Brewers because they're there, but that's different from somebody who, you know, is a diehard uh, Milwaukee Brewers fan, whether they live in the city or whether they live in a surrounding suburb or a different city in Wisconsin, but because it's, you know, the team that is known uh, in Wisconsin, you know, they would be fans of it. Um, So there's different, there's different levels, um, you could say, of somebody being a Jehovah's Witness. Um, So I want to explain my level um, and my family's level, because moving forward, when I do talk about these stories and these experiences, I want you to understand that it's coming from somebody who was all in, somebody who truly believed it, somebody who from day one, you know, was giving their life to serve, you know, the Lord or whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, whereas some other, you know, kids you know, might have been Jehovah's Witness, you know, because of their family. Um, But really, they never really got into it. They never really kind of wanted to do anything with it. So they were just kind of, you could say, Jehovah's Witness by name, but not necessarily by action. Um, So that's what I want to kind of use this episode to kind of talk about. 
Um, that way, when you know we discuss other topics and discuss other experiences and stories, um, we get kind of some of this out of the way. Um, because I will be using terms that maybe if you didn't grow up a Jehovah's Witness, you might not 100% understand what those terms mean. Uh, I'm not going to explain every single thing, but I think some things do, um, you know, kind of merit going a little bit into a more of a, a an explanation um, for you know clarity's sake. Um, so enough rambling. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. So, as I've already said a couple of times, um, I was born into it. So, what does that mean? Well, that means that literally, when I was born, my parents were already Jehovah's Witness. Um, so, there was no other faith, no other religion um, that I knew. I only knew Jehovah's Witness, and that's the life that I was brought into. Um now, here's the first opportunity to kind of discuss something that um, is very important um, in terms of being a Jehovah's Witness uh, for myself growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, that being said, I was born into it. However, I was not baptized at birth. So that is not something that Jehovah's Witness will do. Um, there are other religions I know that bapti- that baptize uh, babies. Um you know, that way they're already saved uh, from birth, whatever. I, I don't, obviously, again, I only grew up a Jehovah's Witness. So I don't know the, all the details of other religions. Um, but yeah, I think it's very important to clarify that um, as a Jehovah's Witness, I was not born, I was not uh, baptized at birth. Uh, I was born, obviously, kind of kind of hard to <laughs> not be a Jehovah's Witness anymore if I was never born. Then I would just have been nothing. Um, but yeah, I was born into it, but not baptized at birth. Um, so baptism, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, because I think it's important to understand that when I say I grew up a Jehovah's Witness and that I was devoted, well, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? So for starters, when does a Jehovah's Witness get baptized? What is the age that one must say, I am giving myself to this religion? Well, the answer to that is actually, there is no answer. Uh, there is no um, age where a youth or a person must be baptized. Because again, remember, not everybody is born into this religion. Um, I remember growing up, there would, pe- there would be people that were 20, 30, 40, 50 years old who were just beginning to study and just beginning to attend meetings and just beginning to do the steps that it would take to, you know, get to baptism. Um, So there is no age where one must be baptized and must be officially a Jehovah's Witness. As a matter of fact, kind of going into a little bit of some of the beliefs and some of the faith of a Jehovah's Witness. Again, some of these topics will be discussed a a lot more in detail. but to kind of uh, explain how important, yet at the same time, you could almost even say not important baptism is in the eyes of a Jehovah's Witness or in the, I don't want to say rules, but in the way of a Jehovah's Witness, um, baptism actually doesn't mean it either way. Like, it, it's going to sound weird, but basically, if you're baptized, that doesn't mean suddenly, you know, you're good to go, you're you're saved, and when, you know, the end comes, because that's what, again, Jehovah's Witness believe, the end is coming, 
when the end comes, you know, you're good because you're baptized. No, it, it, it's not. As a matter of fact, um, and it's, it, it's interesting because if I remember correctly, when I got baptized, um, the talk that they gave for our baptism, they kind of touched on this point about how, um, you know, baptism is actually just the beginning. Um, you know, baptism is just you publicly, you know, devoting your life to Jehovah and to the religion. It's not in any way, shape or form a finish line. As a matter of fact, it's actually the starting line. Um, but the flip side to that is just because you're not baptized doesn't mean that you're not also held accountable for your actions in the eyes of Jehovah. So that's kind of the kicker. Um, and, and I, I won't say everybody who doesn't get baptized has this mentality, but I do know that I've met one or two that have told me that the reason they didn't get baptized is because if they got baptized, well, then it's official. And it's like, that's true. You know, I I get it. Um, But at the same time, if you believe everything that as a witness, you're being taught and told, well, just because you're not baptized, that doesn't mean shit. If you are old enough to retain the knowledge and old enough to understand what you're actually studying. Well, really you've, you've already got the knowledge and therefore not being baptized doesn't really mean anything. Um, it just, it just means you haven't gotten baptized. Um, but, but in no way, shape or form, is it kind of like saying you're off the hook? Like if the end comes and, and judgment day is upon you, uh, you, you know, it's not like you can play that card of like, well, oh, hold on. I was never baptized. So I didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to do all those things. It it doesn't work that way. Um, so just to kind of give you, like I said, a little insight into what baptism means for a Jehovah's witness. So to recap, baptism is very important for a Jehovah's witness, but at the same time, it's actually kind of not important in the sense of it does not mean that just because you're not baptized um, that somehow you're kind of off the hook from your actions and from you know knowing what's right and wrong Um, so that's kind of that on baptism um, at least in the generalization so now let's go into a little bit of detail for me and what baptism uh, was for me um, because this is going to be kind of important moving on with with all the other stories so i actually got baptized pretty fucking young um i got baptized i believe i was 11 11 years old um and the interesting thing is that was my second attempt at baptism um i had actually spoken to the elders of the congregation um a a couple years prior to to baptism um so at about nine years old I was already trying to get baptized. Now, another thing to know about baptism is baptism is not something that happens a lot throughout the year. So actually, there's only three times in the year that there are baptisms. Um, So Jehovah's Witness have what are everybody knows Jehovah's Witness preach. Everybody knows that they knock on your door, right? The stereotypical bullshit like that they're at your door. But. Also, most people, I think, know the Jehovah's Witness, like, we'll go to, you know, like a Sunday meeting, like, like most, honestly, religions and whole, and churches, like, you know, there is an actual date where people congregate, okay? So, Jehovah's Witness have uh, multiple meetings a week, um, but the one that they kind of try to push people to come to and invite them to is typically the Sunday meeting. Well, three times a year, we have what are actually, or 
they have, I should say, it's going to be a habit sometimes to not say we or me or whatever, but, um, they will have, um, what are known as conventions. Um, and three times of the year they'll have these. One of them is a one day. It's, it's called the special day assembly or convention in English. Um, then there is another one where it's a two day and that one is known as the circuit assembly. Um, and that one is a Saturday, Sunday. The special day one is, a, is, is, um, typically, typically a Sunday, um, Sunday or Saturday. It's going to be one of the two days. Um, the circuit, which is the two day will be on Saturday and Sunday. And then the district convention, holy shit. This one was three days, um, three days. And it started at like eight thirty, nine o'clock at the latest. And it went until five o'clock. Um, man, it was long. I'm not going to lie. Some, some conventions, some assemblies were fucking long. Um, and there, there would be some things in them that were kind of like at the time when I was into it that I really liked and I thought was cool. And I looked forward to every year, but like looking back, man, it is, it is kind of hard to understand. Uh, cause you have to keep in mind too, there's children here, there's babies, there's children, like, man, like to expect a five-year-old, a six-year-old, eight-year-old fuck man even a 13 14 15 year old to like sit still and you know listen for what feels like basically a whole day eight hours um it's pretty pretty crazy uh pretty intense um but anyways long story short man those are the three times that baptisms would occur um so it's not even like you know I could have gone to the elders and say, Hey, I want to get baptized. And they asked me questions and then be like, okay, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to jot you down for uh, next month, you know, on the third week or whatever. No, that's not how it worked. Um, when you, you know, were ready to take that step, you talk to the elders and then if, you know, if everything went through, you know, basically whatever the next convention or assembly was, was the one that you were going to get uh, baptized at. <clears throat> So I attempted to talk to the elders the first time at about nine years old. Um, and, you know, they, they did ask me, you know, some, some questions that, you know, why, why I wanted to get baptized and, you know, what I thought that meant. Um, because the other thing to understand is it's not necessarily that I just say, oh, I want to get baptized and, oh, cool. All right. Well, then let's, let's get you set up for the next assembly. Because again, you know, kind of going back to the whole concept of like Jehovah's Witness don't baptize babies at birth. You know, the thing with Jehovah's Witness isn't so much just to get everybody baptized and, you know, who cares if they, they really want it or not. Um, so when somebody does say like, hey, I want to get baptized, um, there are some questions that, um, you know, you'll you'll go through. It's not necessarily questions to, to, you know, have like a right or wrong answer per se. I mean, there is definitely, you know, a wrong answer. Um, but again, it's more just to kind of see what's in your heart, um, you know, to see where this is coming from. Is it a place of sincerity? Um, because again, like we talked about with baptism, not being the finish line, but instead the start line, you know, um, you know, they want to make sure that you know what you're getting into and, and what you're um, essentially, you know, publicly, uh, you could just say pledging to. Um, so, um, you know, I tried the first time and, you know, the elders did kind of talk to me and say, you know, hey, you know, we love the attitude, love the, 
love where this is headed love that you have goals but you know let's let's give it a little bit more time um you know nine years old might be a little bit too young um so you know i waited a whopping um probably one year one year and a half uh something like that because obviously you know like we talked about with the timeline i had to have had that conversation you know around that one year one and a half year mark um and at the time i even though I wasn't getting baptized yet, I was active already in, in the religion, in the congregation. Um, I started giving talks in the theocratic ministry school. Um, so the theocratic ministry school was a meeting that usually was done on, for, for us in the Spanish congregation, it was on a Wednesday night. Um, but typically it was, uh, you know, either like a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night, just depended on your congregation schedule. And that theocratic ministry school was when, you know, brothers or sisters who were not elders or were not ministerial servants also participated in giving talks. Um, they kind of viewed it as, as the title is called, theocratic ministry school. It was an education. It was a way to kind of educate um, the members of the congregation into giving talks and, you know, um, you know, instructing the congregation um so at you know i want to say i gave my first talk in the theocratic ministry school i was probably seven eight nine years old somewhere around there um and you know typically when you start off it, it's very simple it's usually just um reading like typically one chapter of a of of a of the bible um you know, so for example, you know, um, the, the, your, one of your first talks could be to read, um, you know, the book of Matthew chapter eight and then verses one through 15 or 16, you know, so the whole point was you'd give a little introduction, then your introduction would, you know, go into you reading that particular part of the Bible and then a conclusion, um, you know, or depending on how long the, the chapters were or how long the uh, verses were, it could be a couple of chapters. There were certain scriptures that were, you know, very short chapters. So sometimes you'd read like a couple of chapters. Um, but again, it was a school. It was a theocratic ministry school. So it was about getting you comfortable, um, you know, being up on stage and, and, you know, talking in front of, you know, 50 to 100 people, which is why to this day I actually have no problem with public speaking, Um I actually, I really enjoy it. Um, when I was in um, school, um, I took a communications class, a speech class, and I got, you know, an A plus, like I got 100% on it. Um, and, you know, I did very minimal studying in that class because to me, public speaking at that point was just so natural um, that really all I needed to know was what was the topic and I could come up with the speech pretty quick. You know, I, you know, I would rehearse it a couple of times just, you know, to make sure, you know, I nailed it down. But otherwise, like I had no fear. Um, I actually remember and this is not I'm not making fun of this guy. Like it just it just it is what it is. Not everybody, you know, public speaks when they're fucking six years old, seven years old. So why would why would I be judging this person? I had a classmate who um, was very nervous. Um, and, you know, again, this is college. So, you know, we're all you know, at least 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, and this guy was like nervous as hell just, and you know, he asked, you know, he actually reached out to me and asked me like, Hey man, like, you know, how, how does this come so easily to you? Um, you know, and I, I just flat out told him I had a lot of, 
you know, experience doing this growing up. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of kind of the, one of the few things that having grown up a Jehovah's witness kind of like set me up, uh, in life later in life. Um, I'm actually in a leadership role, um, in my, uh, in, you know, I might where I work, my employer. Um, and so, you know, I'm not saying I, you know, talk in front of hundreds of people, but just, you know, every day, you know, talking to the group and talking to, you know, senior leaders in the hospital and stuff. I don't get nervous. I, it's not something that I'm worried about because again, you know, as crazy as it is to have been, you know, grown up a Jehovah's witness in that, you know, regards, it actually kind of, <laughs> kind of set me up. Um, but anyway, so even though I wasn't getting baptized at nine years old, I was still very active, uh, in the congregation. So, you know, giving talks already, um, you know, going out preaching, um, is something that just because you're a kid <laughs> doesn't mean you are not going to go out preaching. It just probably means like, a you're always going to be out with your parents, right? For the most part. Um, and then it also means that you're probably only preaching on the weekends, um, you know, typically just Saturdays, um, you know, and, and when you do preach, um, it's probably going to be just pretty, pretty basic stuff. Um, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, even as a kid, we had some people who like, I, I would say that probably the door slamming in your face happens a little less if, if it's the kid or in this case, in this case, if it was me who started the conversation. Um, but it doesn't mean that people still weren't you know, kind of rude about it and, and, you know, would kind of shut the door on you, maybe not say in your face, but like at least on you. Um, and I get it. Like it's not for everybody. It's not, you know, it's not a message that, you know, you want to hear it on a Saturday morning when you finally have the chance to sleep in for work. And then here we come, you know, knocking, you know, at 9am not granted, we weren't knocking at six in the morning, seven in the morning, but I mean, you know, depending on your schedule shit, maybe like Saturday 9am is, is, is still too early to be woken up. Um, so again, I was already active in the congregation, just not going to be baptized just yet, but that didn't stop me. I, <laughs> I persisted and about a year later, I brought it up again. Um, they asked me the questions again, you know, and again, it's not like, oh man, I already knew the answers. So it was easy. No, cause it's not those kind of questions. Um, but this time, you know, they, they saw the sincerity, they saw what they, you know, I guess you could say wanted to see out of those questions. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was baptized. Um, and now I was saved. No, just kidding. Again, this is now only the beginning, um, of, of my life that you could say as a Jehovah's witness. So baptism, that's kind of how it looks. Um, again, there'll be other episodes where I might go into a little bit more detail on how that looks, um, on certain specific points. For example, I could go into detail about what the day of your baptism looks like. And you know, the, the talk that happens before your baptism, all that right now, that's not really important to, you know, this particular story or to any of the stories I have coming here shortly. Um, instead it's just to show you how devoted I was at such a young age. So again, when I say I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, I'm not just saying that I was in a family that, you know, went to meetings. And so I just tagged along. No, I was active. I was involved. I was giving talks. I was instructing and teaching. So I was very much in it. But let's uh, let's segue that into my family. Why at such a young age was I looking to get baptized? 
Well, let me give you a little insight into my family. So my father was actually an elder of the congregation. Um, so from a very young age, I had, you know, an elder, you know, in my home, you know, he's my father. So not to say that I knew everything that elders did, but I saw all the work you could say that my father put in. Um, and speaking of work, let's, let's kind of talk about this real quick. Um, how much did my father make as an elder of the congregation as a Jehovah's witness? Well, after taxes, he made literally zero dollars. Okay, so I know that, you know, there's churches out there, there's pastors out there that literally it's their career, right? They get paid to do this. Jehovah's Witness don't get paid. And I can speak that for a fact, knowing my father worked third shift um, at the university so that he could put food on the table for our family. So if <laughs> he was getting paid... Then he was just going to the university for fun and, you know, whatever. No, he wasn't getting paid. Um, all all of the uh, activities, all the, you know, studying, all the preparation for meetings, the going to meetings, um, all that is a volunteer time. Um, as a matter of fact, at one point when I was looking for employment, um, I did use that I, you know, I had volunteer experience and my volunteer experience was my preaching because it's not paid. Um, it's me volunteering for my church, essentially. Um, didn't always, <laughs> you know, didn't always look the best when they found out it was Jehovah's Witness, but whatever. Um, the point is my father didn't make any money. Okay. Um, so my father was an elder of the congregation. My mother, she was a regular pioneer. Um, now, what is a regular pioneer? Regular pioneer is somebody who actually um, preaches on a full-time basis. Um, I don't know what it is now, but at the time, uh, the requirements for a regular pioneer was 90 hours a month. Um, 90 hours a month to go preaching. Now, keep in mind, I know, I know you might say, well, shit, I work 80 hours at my job. That's not full-time. You know, full time in the sense of this is your primary thing you do because it would be hard for you to work, you know, 80 hours every two weeks and then also, you know, preach, you know, 90 hours a month. Um, it could be done, you know, mathematically, but probably your energy and, and your commitment wouldn't be the best. So typically a regular pioneer, um, like in the case of my mom, you know, my father is the one that, you know, worked and, and made the income. My mom did work. She worked a uh, seasonal job. So she, you know, only worked um, a few months out of the year. Um, and that's how she did it for, for a long time. Um, so, you know, she could afford to essentially not, not work. Um, and the interesting thing with her having been a regular pioneer, so you got to factor in now, of course, this is you know, the 1990s and early 2000s. So gas isn't what it what it is now, obviously, but it's still gas. It still costs money. Um, the wear and tear on your vehicle, all that is not anything that is being funded. So there isn't, you know, a check going to my mom, you know, being reimbursed for all the gas she spent or if the car needs new brakes or an oil change, oh, you know, submit your, you know, receipt. No, none of that. Everything was was done on a volunteer basis. Um, so my mom being a regular pioneer, devoting her her life and her time 
to preaching and, and serving Jehovah and all that. Okay. So the, the two people in my life, my parents, right. Holding roles in the congregation that are very important. Now let's dive a little bit deeper into my parents. So my parents, um, are considered or were considered. I mean, my mom still is Jehovah's witness. So I'm sure she is still considered. My father is, um, since deceased. Um, so was considered pillars in the congregation. Now, why were they considered that? Well, this, we're talking about, you know, the early 1990s, um, two thousands and, the congregation that I attended was actually a Spanish-speaking congregation. And at the time, there weren't many Spanish-speaking congregations in the state, let alone in the same city within the same, you know, kind of uh, territory. That, that wasn't the case. Um, when my parents started um, with the witnesses, it was actually just a group. It wasn't even a congregation yet. Um, a, a congregation, I don't... I don't know the specifics off the top of my head, really. Um, I believe in order to be considered a congregation, you have to have like, I want to say 20 or 30 um, baptized and um, published uh, or published publishers. There's some sort of requirement of like how many baptized brothers and sisters there are and all that. So. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bore you because it really doesn't matter at this point. Um, I could find that information out and, you know, kind of provide that later, but for right now, it really doesn't matter. Um, so my, so my parents were a part of this group at the time. It was just a group and eventually it became a congregation and eventually that congregation grew. And then eventually that congregation had to be split because it was now too big for one congregation. So they had to split it into two. Then that congregation became too big. And so they had to split it. So, the fact that there are now multiple Spanish-speaking congregations, and, and I want to emphasize Spanish-speaking because there are plenty of English congregations. Because, um, again, this is America, you know, so English, you know, native language. Um, so there were plenty of English congregations. The tricky part was getting a Spanish congregation, okay? Now, obviously, now, you know, um, you know the Spanish-speaking community is, is very much um, large, larger than it was um, in the 90s. Um, in some parts of uh, the country, it actually is very much becoming the majority versus the minority. Um, but at the time, that wasn't the case. So it was only a group. Then it became a congregation. Then it had to split. Then it had to split. So my parents, not not them alone, but they were of the very few that were in the group that you know helped you know with all the preaching and the instruction and the teaching. That eventually the congregation, or it eventually became our congregation, and then eventually it, you know, grew. Um, so they are considered, you know, pillars of of the Spanish congregation. Um, as a matter of fact, again, my father, having been an elder, um, elders on Sundays, not every Sunday, but you know, for the most part, there was always um, within the circuit in the district, you know, traveling. So when my dad was an elder some Sundays we would actually travel to other Spanish congregations. Now, again, because, you know, there's not any other Spanish congregations in the city. When we say we traveled, we sometimes traveled to, if, if you're familiar with Wisconsin and you're familiar with the, the map of the United States, we would travel to Minnesota. We would travel to Illinois. Um, 
And sometimes that meant, especially Minnesota, man, Minnesota was like from where we lived to where we were going in Minnesota was like sometimes a five hour drive, a five hour drive for a meeting that lasted only two hours. So, you know, keep that in mind. But it was part of, you know, the brotherhood It was part of the camaraderie it was part of that brotherly love. Now, also remember that my father is not getting paid. For any of this, which means all that gas money, um, expenses, wear and tear on your vehicle, that's all coming out of your own pocket. Okay. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because there would be times, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn or, you know, try to make my family sound like they're, you know, celebrities or whatever. You know, it's not keeping up with the Vegas. Okay. It's not that shit. I'm just saying. They are considered pillars of the congregation. They are considered pillars of the Spanish community in Madison, Wisconsin, to the point where, you know, even if we've never met certain people, there would be people in, you know, other parts of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, that if you mentioned the Vega family, even if they didn't know us personally, they knew of us. They knew the Vega name. Um, so, you know, my parents were considered instrumental, you know, pillars of that community. And so the reason I say this is because that's the kind of influence I had growing up. Um, you know, not only was I beginning to show, you know, signs of devotion to, to the religion and to the church, but it was also because I saw it in my dad. I saw it in my mom and my brother eventually became a ministerial servant, which if you're talking rankings, like if, if you're just going to simplify rankings in the congregation, a uh, ministerial servant is one below an elder. So the next step for a ministerial servant is to become an elder. My brother, you know, was on his way to becoming an elder. Okay. So, um, that's the kind of influence that I had growing up directly. Now, my grandfather, he was also a ministerial servant. My uncle was an elder. So even my kind of like extended circle of family was also, you know, people that were holding, um, roles in the congregation. So, of course, this would be a reason why, you know, at such a young age, I would be looking um, at, you know, being active in the congregation and and trying to do more and trying to show my my devotion. Um, it got to the point that after baptism, I was now given privileges in the congregation. Now, what do I mean by privileges? So privileges is just a way of saying I was given additional responsibility in the congregation. So aside from being a part of the theocratic uh, ministry school, because let me explain real quick, the theocratic ministry school was technically not a privilege. That was actually kind of an expectation. So whether you were baptized or not, you were a part of the theocratic ministry school. Now, there was technically like an enrollment into the school. So like, obviously, you're not going to have like a five year old, you know, on the stage trying to read out of the Bible or a four-year-old or a six-year-old, there had to be like some kind of sign of, you know, competency, you could say, like, you know, would you be able to read that much out of the Bible? Obviously, like my parents helped me with, you know, some of my first talks. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend like I did all that shit on my own. Like my, you know, my parent, again, my dad being an elder, you know, he does this, you know, he gives talks, you know, on a routine basis. Um, so my parents helped me with my, with my first few talks. Um, then eventually, you know, I started getting, you know, pretty, pretty good at it where I could do it on my own. But the reality is they did help me. Um, so, you know, enrolling into the theocratic ministry school, you know, it, it wasn't technically a privilege in the sense of you have to be baptized to be enrolled in the school. Um, it was kind of an expectation uh, of, of all, um, 
of all the uh, you know brothers and sisters. So, so when I say I had privileges, I'm not necessarily referring to the theocratic ministry school because again that was an expectation. So when I say that I had privileges, every meeting, um, you know. You have to think about it. There needs to be sound. Um, Jehovah's Witness do sing at the beginning of the, the meeting and at the end of the meeting. Um, so we have what was known as like the sound department, um, you know, publications. There was a publication uh, stand um, that, you know, typically one of the brothers would kind of run and, um, you know, there would be inventory, um, you know, you'd have to hand out, you know, publications to those that maybe are new, or maybe if you, for whatever reason, misplaced your songbook, misplaced your, your, your magazine for that day or night, or, you know, basically anything like that. Um, you also had, um, the chairman who would kind of, um, oversee the meeting for that day. Um, so they would help anybody who maybe was running a few minutes behind, find their seat, you know, try to seat them in the back to cause the least amount of distraction. Um, you know, for, for the sound again, um, you know, you'd have somebody who's assigned to, to what we called the platform. Uh, so that means, you know, you would go up and, and fix the brother's microphone, get it adjusted to their level. Um, obviously, you know, working with the, with the, uh, brother running the sound department to make sure the, the sound was was good wasn't too high wasn't too low um, and then you also for participation had um, or for for parts of the meetings that you know were participation based um, you'd have to have a couple of brothers you know going up and down the aisles with microphones so that if somebody got called on you know they they could speak into the microphone and therefore the whole congregation could hear um, so there was privileges those kind of things you couldn't do if you weren't baptized because they were considered privileges in the congregation. Um, and then some of the other privileges too, you know, were a little less seen. They weren't, um, you know, something that the entire congregation was seeing you do like when you're doing microphones or sound. Um, one of those kind of going back to the whole, you know, my father as an elder wasn't paid, wasn't funded for, you know, gas for any of his stuff. Um, Jehovah's Witness run on voluntary donations, uh, meaning that unlike some other churches, um, there is no basket. There is no collection that goes around. Um, there are um, donation box boxes, I should say, set up in the kingdom halls um, where people could, you know, put in whatever they wanted, you know, whether it was a check for $100 or $500 if you, you know, were a brother or sister that, you know, was a little more financially stable and could afford to give, you know, bigger donations. Or, um, I mean, shoot, sometimes some, some of the younger, you know, um, brothers or younger youth of the congregation would put in like a dollar, you know, or something like that. It was all voluntary. Um, however, you know, there has to be proper accounting done for that. Um, so, there was uh, that that uh, responsibility of helping out the um, the elder who was known as the treasury elder. Um, so you know you would go around with him collecting the money, uh, filling out the slips, um, you know, for the bank, and then you'd go deposit the money um, into the accounts. You know, where obviously like the donations covered like local expenses. So like for your own kind of congregation, your own kind of kingdom hall, but then they had worldwide funds as well. Um, you know, because obviously there are many countries, um, that have Jehovah's witness and are in need all the time of, 
you know, new kingdom halls, you know, in the village or in the town or anything like that. Um, and then there was the publications, uh, a fund where you could donate to kind of help keep, you know, publications being printed and funded and all that. Um, so that was another responsibility that I had, um, another privilege, um, Again, privilege is kind of meaning responsibilities. And keep in mind, <clears throat> I'm doing all this when I'm like, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. So you could say, like, I was learning, you know, responsibility and learning to have, you know, other tasks and responsibilities. But if you stop and really think, is that the best way to utilize a youth's time? I know in school we had extracurricular activities, right? So in school, you got kids that are playing on the basketball team, they're playing on the football team, soccer team, whatever. They're in band, you know, and, and they're trying to learn and be better at band. Do we look at that as, man, that's too much for a child to try to do along with school and homework and everything, along with trying to leave a, lead a social life, you know, because social interaction is important for children. Um, you know, that it helps, helps them, you know, be social, sociable and, and learn how to, you know, talk to people and things like that. Um, obviously as a Jehovah's witness, we've kind of briefly talked about it in a, a couple of the previous episodes, but I wasn't supposed to have any interaction with anybody from school in terms of like having friendships with them. Like, obviously I knew I had to go to school with them, but um, and you'll hear me use this word, this term, um, but they were of the world. Um, and when I say of the world, basically, I just mean they were not Jehovah's Witness. Um, that is a term that I heard all my life, um, worldly of the world. Um, so you say worldly associations or that person is of the world, meaning they are not a Jehovah's Witness, meaning that, you know, their um, beliefs don't align with yours. Which now that, you know, as an adult, I'm like, well, no shit. Not everybody's going to be, you know, Jehovah's Witness. Not everybody's going to believe what you believe, right? Um, Don't they say that, you know, when you're dating and stuff, you want to, you know, date somebody who, you know, has similar likes and and stuff. But at the same time, it can also kind of not be good if you date somebody who is exactly like you. You know, you want to kind of, you know, be with somebody who is also going to have different points of views and, and different likes and, and things like that. Um, according to Jehovah's Witness, no, man. Like They were like, no, if they're not a Jehovah's Witness, don't talk to them, don't associate with them. They are worldly. They are of the world. They are going to corrupt you, um, you know, because apparently every <laughs> everybody who isn't a Jehovah's Witness is a drug addict and an alcoholic and all that shit. So, um, you know, I wasn't supposed to have that interaction. So... Apparently, my free time that I could have spent on sports and band and doing all that, well, all that free time was available for me to have these responsibilities in the in the congregation. Now, keep in mind, I wanted them. I'm not I'm not saying that like I was doing these against my will. I'm just kind of speaking now as looking back. I'm like, well, shit, that was kind of kind of weird, right? Um, so yeah, uh, kind of to recap a little bit. I hope you kind of start seeing that when I say I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, by the way, fun drinking game. If you're into that, uh, take a drink uh, every time I say growing up a Jehovah's Witness, because I feel like I've said that term a lot 
I promise I will try to <laughs> try not to say it so much. But if I do, take a shot, take a take a drink, um, make this make this pod fun um, if you like. Um, but anyway, I hope you're starting to see that when I say I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I, I really I really grew up a Jehovah's Witness. I wasn't just some kid who went to the meetings and and, and kind of just sat there and didn't really do anything. You know, I, I hope this kind of starts to provide almost you could say some credibility to my stories and, and to my experiences, because I want you to see that they come from a perspective of of a, a child who actually believed this shit, um, as opposed to just like uh, me talking as an adult who never believed it. And I always thought it was bullshit. No, like I there was a part of me that actually believed this um, to the point where this is going to kind of be a little um, segue into what hopefully um, will be released here shortly. Uh, if you're listening to this, this the next episode might already be out. So um, if it is, go ahead and jump to that one. Um, but I never heard about college uh, growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, it was not something that as a youth you were going to be you know, pushed or, or told like, Hey, you better maintain your GPA in school because you gotta, you know, find the right, you gotta go to college. You gotta go to a good, good name school. You gotta go to Ivy league. Um, you know, anything like that. No, that never happened. Um, college was almost like if you said you wanted to go to college brothers and they would almost like be like, why, why are you aspiring things of the world? Again, the fucking world, like, I want to go to school, <laughs> you know, like, how is that bad? Like, I'm not telling you that I'm trying to shoot up heroin or something like, no, I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to better my education. And you're acting as like, well, why would you want to do that? That's of the world. Um, so, you know, again, when I tell you these stories, when I tell you these events, you know, some of them, like, I, I hope you find them as funny as, as I did, um, you know, looking back, but then there are going to be, you know, sometimes where I might talk about some, some serious stuff, some things that I have a little bit of, I wouldn't say resentment to the point where all you, all it's going to be is anger, but you know, there are some things that I definitely like looking back now, I, I am very hurt by the idea of that and, you know, therefore resentful. Um, but overall, I hope you're starting to see that I was very much in this and that makes kind of the stories I'm going to tell you that much more kind of sometimes fucked up um, that, you know, a child could be this involved in a religion. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this pod. Um, I, it's a little long, not shit, not a little longer. It's a lot longer than some of the other episodes, but I hope, I hope you understand why um, it's, it's for a good reason. So um, if you have any questions, um, submit your questions to with religion behind me at gmail.com. Um, please, uh, you know, review um, rate the, the pod. If you've listened to it and if you've enjoyed it so far, um, I, you know, that I would really greatly appreciate that. Uh, I'm hoping that that will help get a little more exposure out there and, and just be able to share my story with, with uh, more people and hopefully to find people out there that maybe went through something similar or are going through something similar. And it'd be a good opportunity to kind of, um, you know, connect and, and, and reach out and, and, and see, see, you know, see what's going on in the world um, and, and things like that. So um, again, thank you for 
checking this episode out. Um, I appreciate you for being patient and listening through the whole thing, but I really do hope that moving forward, um, you understand that, um, you know, when I say I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I really did grow up a Jehovah's Witness. So um, until the next episode, thanks for listening. Have a good night, everybody.